Music, stories, and more. Everybody, welcome back to this week's episode, part two of Chinese cuisine. We'll pick up right where we left off. So back to the interview. Now, can you tell us, because、um, we were curious, and I know that there's a ton of different,、um, like not palates, but different kinds of Chinese food. Like you said, there's Sichuan, and there's other different kinds. So, what exactly is Sichuan? So. Question: Regional Chinese food. It's kind of like if you the easiest easier for me to understand、um, as Italian food because when I was learning how to cook, I worked for a lot of Italian restaurants and Italian chefs and in California. And so regionally, it's broken up to like if you like pasta bolognese, that sauce came from Bologna,、um, and it's a meat sauce that originated in that part of Italy. Or if you like prosciutto di Parma. That's a type of cured ham that comes from like Parma, Italy, or、um, so it's kind of easy to like think of these different areas. Like pesto is from Genova, which is from northern Italy. So it was easier for me to like understand like, oh, these dishes came from these parts of of Italy, and they're all very different.、Um, and as it related to Chinese food, which it's interesting because Chinese food kind of predates Italian food.、Um, Chinese were making pasta before Italians were making. Pasta,、um, and so it was interesting for me to think about Chinese food in that way because I didn't know about it. I wasn't educated, and when I started to like educate myself in Chinese food, I learned that like you know Sichuan food is much different. When I worked in、um, California, we did a pop up inside of a Chinese restaurant there called Longshan, and they're from southern China.、Um, they're from they're Cantonese, and southern China. Um, there's not a lot of spice at all, like,、um, and it's a funny story. The reason we started cooking Sichuan food is because I was afraid that the the chefs that worked at this Chinese restaurant would judge me for the time, you know, because I was kind of learning on the job.、Um, they would kind of like say I was doing it wrong. So I decided I would make a type of food that they didn't eat、um, from a different part of China,、um, so I could kind of have a lot more.、Um, Freedom in what I was doing. So Sichuan food. To answer your question, Sichuan food is not from southern China. It's from farther north, and it is、uh, a lot spicier. And not just spicy. Like a lot of Chinese food, if you have food from Hunan, like that food is very spicy also. But what's kind of more specific in Sichuan food is the use of this berry、um, from the prickly ash tree, and it's called it's called like Sichuan pepper. But it's not a pepper. It's a berry. And it makes your mouth kind of tingly or numb when you eat it,、um, and that kind of like gives you the sensation, this flavor and feeling, and the sensation called mala, which is like spicy and tingling.、Um, you often use that、um, 
that vary with like, not, it doesn't have to be with spicy food, but a lot of people, when you have hot pot, if you've ever had hot pot before, or if you've had like Sichuan, like double cooked pork or mapo tofu, it has that flavor and that sensation in it. And to me, when I started cooking Sichuan food, when I was like 25, um, it was because I would go to these restaurants on my day off in California and eat this specific type of Chinese food, this regional, um, regional, region specific Chinese food. They gave me this flavor and this feeling that I didn't have ever in my life, you know, 24, 26 years of eating food and cooking food. Like I've never had that flavor, that sensation. So I was actually hooked on that. And that's how I started cooking Sichuan food because, because even to this day, I'll talk to people like my dad, who's um, 70 now, he'd never had that food until I started cooking it. And so it's amazing. That's the powerful thing about food is that, you know, it's kind of like playing an instrument, like, you never learn all there is to know. There's always something else you can learn. And even if you become like a master chef or a master musician, you can always be better. You can always learn something new. Um, and I like that, like the possibility that there is like, that the, the learn the ability to like, to learn is like endless. It's like an open-ended thing. It's not like, it's infinite. Um, but to answer your question, Sichuan food is a regional type of Chinese food that, um, is most known for um it's it's funny it's most known for like being like spicy or tingling but uh, i really appreciate when i've been to sichuan or chengdu which is the region of china that the sichuan food is from and it's cooked um is the use of vegetables and how like so many different vegetables i've never seen or tasted are utilized in uh chengdu and in the sichuan province this province of china um so yeah, hope that answers your question. Yeah, it does. I didn't know that Sichuan was a berry. That's very interesting. Yeah, it's, it's called a peppercorn, but it's actually a berry from the prickly ash tree. It's not a pepper. Cool, nice. Brian, would you ever, would you ever eat that berry? <laughs> I find the nut, uh, for not the berries, blueberries, strawberries. <laughs> this is a good question. A lot of people ask me what uh, eating Szechuan pepper tastes like that I've never had it before. And I remember when I was a little kid, I licked a battery, which is not something I suggest you do. But if you ever put your tongue on the end of like a nine volt battery, your tongue starts to tingle. Or if you ever go to the dentist and you have to get a cavity filled or something like that, and your mouth is kind of tingly and numb like that, that's kind of the flavor that this berry gives you. It kind of temporarily numbs your mouth. And a lot of people actually used to use it if they had dental pain. Um, I know that doesn't sound appetizing at all, but it, uh, it's a good like idea of what uh, flavor of this is. Yeah, you're making Brian really want to try it now. <laughs> yeah, put the nut of Norfolk in the mouth. Danny, you were talking about edible flowers. And I think that's so interesting. I, I, I feel like I've gone to restaurants and I see them as like decor and I never knew like if they were edible. And I always wondered like, um, cause I know there's certain ones I'm sure that aren't. So <laughs> what's, oh. I, I, do you have training on, like do you have to get training on what flowers not to give people? <laughs> that's a good question. I mean, here's my first thing. Restaurants, here's my, I, I firmly believe in this. If you don't know, ask. Like never be intimidated. Um, because that's their job. If they're feeding you food, if you're paying money for something, 
you can ask, you need to be informed and educated. And if they don't know, they can ask someone else. It's, I find that's a weird thing in restaurants. People are either too afraid to ask or they ask a lot of questions, you know, but like, if you don't know, ask. I mean, sometimes restaurants will use like orchids or like these, not orchids, but uh, kind of like these decorative flowers that may or may not be edible. Um, and if you ask your server, that's the first thing I would suggest, ask. Because um, you would, common sense would tell you that if it's on a plate of food that they're serving you, you should be able to eat it. Um, I most certainly at our restaurants, like we always make sure that if it's on your plate, it's edible, you know, it should add something to the dish. Um, so to answer your question, um, I always ask personally, because I don't even know. So I'll go to the farmer's market and I'll see, there's a certain purveyor there that sells flowers. And, um, I always ask them like, how, what are these taste best with also? Cause different flowers taste differently. Like nasturtium flowers, um, are really peppery and quite strong in flavor. And the petals are also like really peppery. You know, in California, you see nasturtiums growing everywhere. Sure. Um, some uh, flowers can be really overpowering though. Um, so if you're using like lilacs or, um, you know, we were like using like, uh, like, you know, sometimes like an onion flower, that's easy. It's like chai flowers are great. It's like, oh, this tastes like a chai, but it's hard to explain to a diner what an insertion tastes like sometimes. Okay. So it kind of tastes peppery. It tastes like you're eating a flower, you know? Um, but yeah, I feel like, again, like I was, my, I was saying earlier with food, like, there's so much you would think I would know as a chef and a lot of chefs act like they know everything, but I think the best chefs are the ones that admit that they don't know much at all. Um, because again, it's like playing an instrument. You can be classically trained and really, really great at something. You know, there's always more to learn. So I feel like I learn every day what goes best with what, and especially in the world of flowers and like um, edible flowers specifically. Uh, I'm sure there are experts out there. Um, I ask, every time I buy them. Well, what does this taste like? What, what, what do you think it would pair well with? You know, those kind of questions. Yeah, thank you. That was just really interesting because I've seen them and I feel like they become really popular. Like you see them more at restaurants and- People at a sushi bar, like, you know, 90s too, especially like they'd see like this one, like kind of purple, like kind of orchidy looking thing and you put them on everything. You're not supposed to eat them. And I'm, you know, worked at a sushi bar. We put them on this one dish and I was like, they were like, no, you don't eat that. I'm like, but why are we buying these and like throwing them in the trash? Like, you know, like, I guess it's the same as buying flowers. You know, I always try to have at my apartment, if I buy flowers, I try to make sure they're like edible um, so that I can like have them as a decorative thing and then also use them. What's your favorite dish you make? That's a good question. Um, you know, I feel like my favorite dish to make is like, this is kind of a, that's a hard, you get really good questions. They're very hard in good ways. I feel like my favorite dish to make also changes from day to day. So it's usually if I'm making something for someone that I really care about a lot, that's my favorite dish. So if I'm making something for my son, it could be as simple as like a sandwich for his lunchbox, you know, which I made yesterday. I made him just a simple sandwich with like cheese and like uh, this white meat called mortadella, which is basically like just bologna. And he likes mayonnaise on his sandwiches. So put a little mayonnaise and that was like my favorite thing to make all day. I made a lot of food that day too. But that was just like, it meant something so important to me because, you know, I knew it was going to be enjoyed by him. Nice too, because I had to wait all day until he came home from school to hear whether he liked it or not. And so for me as a chef, a lot of times when you make dishes for people, you instantly get to know if they like it or if they don't like it. 
But for me, that was kind of cool because I didn't know I had to wait. And um, also chefs aren't used to being very patient. They're used to like immediate uh, a response or like, you know, getting feedback immediately. So um, that's one, one of my favorite dishes to make is anything I'm making for someone I really care about or love or someone that I just met or, you know, just someone, anyone, any, anybody, like if I know I'm going to be able to like uh, kind of like make them feel happier, better. My son likes the sandwich a lot, um, by the way. But um, I also will say that my favorite, one of my favorite dishes to make in the entire world is just the simplest thing in the world. I love making this pasta with, t with tomato sauce. Like that's like, I don't know, it's so simple and it's funny. I'll go to restaurants and see it on a menu and I'm like, that's so crazy. Like that's so expensive. You can just make that at home. And, um, but I like making pasta, you know, just any type of pasta with tomato sauce. It's like one of my favorite dishes to make. And if you were to talk about Chinese food, my favorite Chinese dish to make would be, uh, I like making Mapo tofu, which is like a tofu, spicy tofu dish with, um, it can have meat in it or it always has to have like this uh, fermented chili bean sauce called dobancha. And um, we at our restaurant now, we make it with pork or we make it with mushroom. Do you have any advice to give us about cooking, Danny? Of course. Of course. Great question. Or I have a lot of advice. But I think that the best advice I have to give, a lot of people I talk to, you know, they're like, oh, I would cook, but I don't know how. Or I'm a bad cook. I don't know how to cook because I'm, I'm not good at it. And cooking is something that, like, uh, I'm not good at a lot of things. You know, I... I I'm not the best guitar player in the world. I don't know how to do a lot of things very well. I didn't like going to school. I didn't go to college. Um, and I wasn't a very good cook when I started. Um, but cooking is something that even if you don't want to, if you practice it, you will get better. And it's something that, like, it's so therapeutic. It's something that, you know, we were talking about this before you joined the call, but it's something that, you can, you can really communicate with a lot of people through cooking just by giving them food or if you have people over, you don't really even have to talk. You can just make someone a dish, you know, ask them what they like, make them a dish and see if they like it or not, if you did a good job. And like, I think that that's like cooking is much more than just, it can be, some, it can be whatever you want it to be. You can just cook because you have to eat something. I think that's really important. Like everyone has to eat um, to survive. But, you yeah. know, also cook as a um, social thing. Like, you know, if you want to, like, um, bring people together, make someone happy, do something nice for somebody. It doesn't ever have to be fancy. I think, like, fancy cooking is very overrated. I think that most chefs you see, the further they get along in their careers, um, the more simpler they tend to cook. Um, and... Uh, so I would say a couple things, a couple tips and some advice on cooking. It's like everyone never, I would never like discount or think less of your ability of cooking because if you want to get better, especially now with the internet, you can just find out so easily how to make things taste better or, you know, um, get tips on like uh, how to make a certain type of food. Back in the day, you used to have to go buy, I'm sure you remember this, you used to have to just go buy a cookbook off the shelf and like go to the store. And now you can just easily access all of this information. Um, so my first uh, 
tip of advice would be that, you know, anyone can cook. And, and I think that, um, I think cooking is a really beautiful thing that um, can make you, you happy and make other people happy, which I think is, that's like one of the most important things I think that we should be doing while we're here on earth is like doing our best to make, be happy ourselves so that like we can also bring happiness to other people. And so I think that food is a really great um, medium, a really great vehicle for like getting that happiness, uh, bringing that happiness to yourself and other people. Um, and thirdly, cooking doesn't have to be fancy. I think the simpler, the better. Um, so yeah, I think that's like, I guess those are three like little tips I would have, on, three tips of advice I can give you on cooking. What's hard part? Chef. Well, there are a lot of hard things about being a chef, but I think the hardest part is to understand, and I've learned this now, it's kind of taken me a long time to learn this, because in the beginning, you think your job is just to make everyone happy, and in many ways it is. Your job is to make people happy, to do what, make the kind of food, if they order a dish, to make sure it's cooked properly, and like, to your liking, but also something that they are going to like too. But I think the hardest part about being a chef is realizing that while I mentioned if you want to make everyone happy, that that's impossible. And I think that whenever you, I started cooking, um, the idea when I started cooking was that we would always try to make something as perfect as we could. Perfect was the, everyone was saying you have to make perfect or you know be in pursuit of perfection. And I realized pretty early on in my career that perfection is impossible. You know, it's a good goal to have, but it's impossible. And I think that I've learned that the hardest part about being a chef is not that, that it's easy to like understand that perfect is impossible, but it's hard to not make everyone happy every single day. Ultimately, a customer may come in and not like the dish you made or um, it might not be as good as it was the last time they came in because we're human. And, you know, as consistent as we try to make things, you know, that consistency is also pretty close to impossible. So the hardest part about being a chef is kind of understanding that no matter how hard you try, how much you practice, everyone has off days. You know, it's just like being in a band and playing music and playing a live show in front of an you can't do it perfectly every single time. Sometimes the microphone won't work. Or sometimes, you know, a drummer might, you know, someone in your band might forget to, like, play a certain note. And I think that's the beauty in all of this. And I guess my point is, the hardest part about being a chef is realizing that everything is, that, that perfection is impossible. That's easy. But the hardest part is realizing that you can't make everyone happy. And the most important part, and this kind of goes in life in general, is, is really trying to make sure that you're happy. <clears throat> because as a chef, I got into this job because I wanted to make everyone else happy around me, but then I realized that maybe sometimes I wasn't too happy. I was too tired from working too much or exhausted or you know just worrying about what everyone else thought. And I realized that you know it's taken many years, but to kind of focus on yourself and make sure that you're in a good place, it's kind of like making sure that like you have enough happiness to be able to share with other people. And so, I think that the hardest part of being a chef is just realizing that, you know, no matter how hard you try, sometimes you might mess up. Uh, but looking at those, like, kind of 
mishaps or failures as like opportunities to get better. And you can't make everyone happy. So just try to make sure that you're happy yourself because that's the most important. All right, Danny. Well, we really, really appreciate you coming on and, and answering our questions. Um, it was so great to get to know you. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we really appreciate it. Thank you, Danny. Thank you. Thank you guys for all your amazing questions. And um, I look forward to you guys some books. Won't be out for a few months, but we'll send some to you. And um, I really, and now I'm hungry. I'm hungry to eat a pineapple pizza. Pasta with tomato sauce and tofu. Enjoy all right. the rest of your day. Much. All right. See you all. Bye. 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 Yeah. Well, what a stimulating interview. I learned so much from Danny. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Before we go, we just want to say bye. bye. I hope you enjoyed this installment of RT Radio. For more information, please go to our website, ablearthwork.org. Thank you for 